you otherwise should not, that words are unimportant. But words are very, very important. Words are critical. Not simply the words themselves, of course, but that we have behind those words very weighty concepts. And that's true. That's what God has put into the very fabric of human communication. That the words we use are very, very important. Indeed, listen to the truth of Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. And then this statement, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, if you read that so quickly in Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21, you might assume that the author is talking about food because he's talking about the stomach, he's talking about the lips. But what he's really saying is that he's using the idea of our satiation, that which goes into our bodies, it goes through our stomach, it goes through our lips, and, and we have that sense of that which we are consuming and the satisfaction thereof, the idea of the fruit of what we're eating. We're satisfied. But he changes from that very metaphor to say, what I'm really talking about is the satisfaction, the fruit of the words that you speak out of your mouth. If they're words of life, then they're very powerful words. They are words that build up. They are words that edify. If they are death-laden words, they are words which destroy. They are words which tear down. And that's why that proverb is so true to life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And did you know that Jesus himself said something very similar and this in a very negative context? In Matthew chapter 12, in the very words of Jesus himself, which determines the very reality of the man who blasphemes God through his life and his actions, Jesus says that a person who loves or hates him, Jesus Christ, will be proven by their very words. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 37 says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. That is, the treasure of what he says. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now that, my friends, puts the premium on the weight of our words. And of course, obviously, the meaning behind them. And that is exactly what I want you to focus in with me this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. <clears throat> John chapter 14. 
And I want you to see the very weight of the words of Jesus himself and how they relate to you. John chapter 14. We can even go back to verse 15, even though we're going to concentrate the bulk of our time this morning on verses 22 through verse 26. But I want you to go back to John chapter 14, verse 15, and I want you to see how many times the concept of words or word or commandment, because they're synonymous in these contexts, I want you to see how many times these words are listed. I find eight of them in verses 15 to 26. For instance, look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my what? Commandments. All right, that's, that's a synonymous idea with the words of Christ. Okay, his word is his word of command. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Look at verse 23. This is the same truth by the same idea. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then look at the first part of verse 24. This is the same truth by negation. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but implied the Father's word who sent me. And then again, verse 25, these things I have spoken, spoken words. I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, there, there's no coincidence there. In fact, there's no such thing as coincidence. Not with the providential God and not with these Bible writers. There is no mistaking that the concept of our words, commands, truth, what Jesus has said is the theme, as it were, of what we're going to study. And this theme idea of words, of commandments, of what Jesus says is so fascinating here because of two realities. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you want an outline, number one, it's this. Number one, your love for Jesus Christ is manifested by your obedience to his word. I'll say it again. Your love for Jesus Christ is manifested by your obedience to his word. Look at verses 22, 3, and 4. We studied last time verses 15 to 21. Of course, this is Jesus giving comforting words to his disciples because he's about to leave them. He's speaking to them from the upper room. He's not lecturing them. He's He's pleading with them. He's commanding them. He's promising them certain things. And yes, he does start out in verse 15 by saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And as sure as they might be frightened and concerned, he responds to them and lets them know 
that even though I'm going, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. Even the spirit of truth. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he comes to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we saw last time from Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came down upon this new thing called the church. And the Holy Spirit resides in all believers. And that's how Jesus has not left any of us as orphans, certainly even these as disciples. And he says, you will be in me, according to verse 20, and I in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And how do I know that I have Jesus in me? And how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit in me? Here's the answer. When you obey as a pattern of your life, the Lord Jesus Christ, when you follow his words. Notice what he says in the latter part of verse 21. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. That word manifest, very important. I will reveal. I will show. I will make them know that I am with them. I am in their presence. I indwell them. And I do so in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's how I'm going to manifest myself to you, my disciples. And of course, by extension, all of us as disciples of Christ. I'm going to manifest myself to everyone who loves me. And if you love me, you'll be loved by my Father, he says. And I will manifest myself to you and you will know that I'm in the Father. You will know that the Father is in me. You will know that you are in me and you will know that I am in you. What a, what a relationship that we have with the indwelling Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I taught you much about that last Sunday morning. Now there is someone in the crowd His name is Judas. It's not Judas Iscariot. It's not actually Jude, the Lord's half-brother. It's another person named Judas, very common name in first century uh, Palestine. And what he says in verse 22 is that he's, in a sense, a little unsure. A little unsure about what Jesus means, a little unsure about the context. And so he says this in verse 22. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, of course, he believes that Jesus is talking to these disciples, and he is. And they're in this upper room, and it could also now include not just simply the 11, because Judas Iscariot has already taken off. This Judas is here. There may be some others who have begun to gather and he's teaching these brothers and sisters who he is and what he's doing. And he he signals, he focuses in on a very, very important idea. And that is this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I, because of that love and because of that obedience, I will manifest myself to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Judas and the others, of course, until Acts 2 and Pentecost, they didn't understand that. They didn't fully get this. So how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 23. Jesus 
answered him. And notice how Jesus widens out, not just to the Jews whom he's teaching right there. Notice what he says, if, and what's the next word? Anyone. All right, that widens it beyond just Jews that he's speaking to and just those in the upper room who were Jews. He's talking about anyone in the whole wide world. That is significant. In fact, look at the first word of verse 24. What's that word? Whoever. So now he's widening it, just just not to the Jews only, but to the whole world, not just to those who are his disciples, those who are Jewish, as Jesus himself is Jewish, but he's talking about the whole world. Judah's question is, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus, in effect, is saying, I'm going to manifest myself to the whole world, and here's how I'm going to do it. And here who is Uh, Here it is, who is part of that world, who will know me and see my manifestation. And here it is. If anyone, verse 23, loves me, he will, what? Keep my word. So who is Jesus manifesting himself to? The ones out of the world who keep his word. Now, can you see the logic there? And even the logic by negation? No wonder he says in verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You know what he's saying? He's saying something like this. And I, and I base this interpretation off the fact that he says anyone and whoever, and that he's talking about a, a wide group of people. He's basically saying, I will manifest myself to anyone, to whoever in the world, either Jew or Gentile, in the following way. In my name, the Father will send the helping presence of the Holy Spirit in order to take the very words I have spoken to you, my disciples, and He, the Holy Spirit, will thus teach you, the disciples of Jesus, and of course, those closely associated with the disciples, and he will teach you all things. The words, my commandments, my teachings, which I taught you when I was still with you, and the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you, thus capturing my words, which have now been inscripturated in the Word of God. Not only are these very men not going to be orphaned, But you and I aren't going to be orphaned either. And God has given us two major things that you and I can rejoice in. And what are they? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, God Himself in our lives to indwell the church generally and believers particularly, and the Word of God. Because that very Word that was spoken to those very disciples He is, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, going to bring to those disciples the remembrance of all that He said to them, and they will then write down the very words of Jesus, the very teaching of Jesus, the very commandments of Jesus, and when they write those words down, God will supernaturally superintend the process of their very writing of that, and it will become the inscripturated Word of God so that even long after the disciples themselves have died and have gone off the scene, you and I would not be left as orphans either. You and I will have the Holy Spirit and His illuminating power 
and you and I will have the word of God so that when you and I quite literally put our eyes to this Bible, to your Bible, you and I have the very words of Jesus Christ. That's what it's saying. That's what he's referring to there. And here's the point for you. Here's the application for us. The very words of Jesus, just as he spoke them audibly to the disciples, are no less relevant and no less authoritative for you and me. And we have that word, and that word is right here in our New Testament. The very words of Jesus. That's why we say... This is our philosophy of ministry. We preach the Bible. We go verse by verse. We find out what God's will is for us. And when we come to a passage like this, where Jesus himself is being quoted by the apostle John, one of these very apostles, and John says, this is what Jesus told us is obedience. And here it is. Love for Christ. Love for Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, if you love Christ, if that Christ love is manifested in your life, it will mean that you want to obey him. Now, I know that sounds like a very simple truth. And in one sense, it is simple to hear it, simple to say it. What's the hard part? Doing it. You say, you mean doing it perfectly? No, 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 no. It's not the perfection of your life. Although you will be perfected, you will be maturing and growing unto perfection, but it is the direction of your life. If the direction of your life is toward obedience to Jesus Christ and not your own will and not your own desires, but obedience to Christ. And when you disobey, you're grieved at such disobedience. You will want to obey Jesus Christ so that you will say, because of my love for you, Jesus, my Savior, I desire to obey you. That's why he's left the Holy Spirit for us. And that's why he created a mechanism. That's a good word. A mechanism by which we will have the very words of Jesus because we have them in our New Testaments. And the apostles painstakingly under the supernatural, superintending influence of the Holy Spirit of God, who is God himself, co-equal with God, determined and influenced the very writing of these men so that you and I would have the inscripturated word of God. That's what's going on here. That's what he's saying. This is, this is no cavalier thing. This is the idea that you and I have, in fact, in our Bibles, the very Word of God, so that you and I can say authoritatively, if you do not obey Jesus Christ as the pattern of your life, then you don't love Him. And if you don't love Him, He will not manifest Himself to you. Because He only manifests Himself to those out of the world 
who love him, and the only way we even love him in the first place is because he initiated that love for us, in us, and when he does, and he opens our hearts because he is the Lord of our lives, then we love him all the more, and we want to keep his commandments all the more, and it proves thus our love for him, and it's manifested to us, and then he reveals so much more truth. He reveals the truth of the entirety of the word of God in the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, and we have the full and complete revelation of God contained in our Bibles so that we can know the person of God and that we can know ourselves and that we can test our love of obedience. That's God's plan. That's why we're not bibliolaters. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. We worship the God who wrote the Bible. You say, well, men wrote the Bible. Yes, they did. But they did so under the supernatural inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God so that what they wrote was utter perfection. Do you know that in those original autographs, that's what they're called, the autographa, the original 66 books of our Bibles, Old and New Testament, 39 and 27, were written down and they were collected and in those autographs, those original documents, and we don't have them anymore, but God in his providence has preserved for us the pure word of God. And in those original autographs, there was utter perfection. God determined, he promised In fact, Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 5, not one jot nor one tittle will pass away until all these things are fulfilled. The entirety of the law of God, the entirety of the word of God. There's not one single thing that will pass away that God will not accomplish in and through what he's promised by his very word. And there's not even one jot and one tittle. You say, what's a jot and a tittle? One is from the Hebrew text, one's from the Greek text. One, it's like a little apostrophe, a little jot. And one's a tittle. It's like a little curve. Just a little bitty mark that you'd make with your pencil. And he's emphasizing this point. There is not one of those little markings which speaks of the entirety of God's revelation that will pass away unless God is perfectly carrying out the plan that he set forth for us in his word for you and I to read, to digest, to ingest into our souls, and ultimately to obey. Wow, what a perfect God we serve. And what a painstaking process. You say, well, did God uh, take these apostles uh, and did he move their hands to write all of these markings? And when they were falling asleep, he woke them up and, and moved their hands some more? No, he used their personalities. He used their backgrounds. He used their, their grammar. He used their vocabulary. He used everything on the human level for the human author. But everything that human author wrote, these apostles and those closely associated with them, everything they wrote was exactly what God intended through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And God took nothing for granted. That's actually what's being talked about here. In fact, that's, that's, number, that's number two In our outline, your ability to understand Jesus' words comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not just your love and obedience to Christ and his words, as important as they are, but it's also your ability to understand Jesus' words, which come from the Holy Spirit. He's illumined his word for you and for me to understand. And I've just described for you what he did uniquely with the apostles. 
He not only illumined their minds, but he actually inspired their minds to write what they wrote. Now, we don't have that. See, that's why they're unique. And that's why sometimes when people read this verse, look at verse 25 and 26 again. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Now, who's he referring to? Those disciples, right? So that's why it's unique. While I am still with you, you disciples. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And now verse 25, as I referenced, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach, and who's the you there? The apostles. He will teach you what? All things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now see, that's not a promise for us. That's a, that's a promise that Jesus will ensure that everything that he taught those disciples for three, three and a half years would be remembered by the Holy Spirit who would take such remembrance, open their minds, make them understand those things so that when they understood them and then when they wrote about them, that everything that they wrote was clear, compelling, relevant, authoritative, and perfect. Now, some people are going to say, now, wait a minute. I mean, look, there are errors in the Bible. There are contradictions in the Bible. And I say, not in those autographs, not in those original documents. You say, well, they're lost to us. Yes, they are lost to us. But guess what? Well over 98, 99% of the manuscripts, and there are thousands of them, both Hebrew and Greek. There, there, are, there are thousands, especially of New, Te- New Testament man- manuscripts, where well over 98, 99% is there a complete reconstruction of those manuscripts so that we can know everything that Jesus said. We can know everything that the New Testament affirms. And there's no major doctrines at all that are affected even by by a, a scribal error here or there. Nothing major. So that you and I have reliably in our hands the pure Word of God. And that because the Holy Spirit brought to remembrance those things that the apostles said, and that's why we have our four Gospels. And that's why they agree. You say, well, there are some scholars, and they're out there, and there's a guy from the University of North Carolina, his name's Dr. Bart Ehrman, and he publishes books where he says, well, there's an error here, and there's a copy error here, and this doctrine can't be true because of this. And you know what I say? Bart Ehrman is a heretic. He's a heretic. He denies the gospel of Jesus Christ. You grew up as a fundamentalist. Said he believed the word of God. And then when he went and studied, he now writes books that speak utterly and disparagingly of the word of God. Yes, those people are out there. They, they, they say what they say and they write their books. And our answer is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Jesus says, this is my word. And did he not say in John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture is a whole. The scripture is unique. And the Holy Spirit, who knows how to keep 
the apostles from saying the wrong thing and from writing the wrong thing, superintended the whole process that he would bring into remembrance all that Jesus said. You and I can have supreme confidence in the word of God. That's why we have Bible in our name. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why we love scripture. We don't love it beyond Christ. We love the Christ of scripture. We love the word of God because of whose word it is. And when he painstakingly puts this book together for us, we should be saying, hallelujah. I love the word of God. And if someone comes along and says, well, I don't read the word of God as often as I should. That gets back to your love. That gets back to you saying, I love Jesus, but I'm not sure I love him enough to voraciously and readily and daily read his word. And then maybe I think we can ask the fair question. Do I really love him? Do I really love him? Do I really want to follow him? Because his words are the eternally weighty words that will either produce life or death. You say, how so? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If someone says, well, then I, I want to go that way. I, I believe he's the way, the truth, and life. And because I affirm that, I, I affirm my own sinfulness. I affirm that I must have a Savior. I can't save myself. And if I can't save myself, I need a Savior to save me because I can't save myself. And I acknowledge my sin to you. I confess my faults, my failures, my sins. I've disregarded you. I've disobeyed you. I haven't loved you. I haven't manifested my love for you and you haven't manifested yourself to me. And now I, through your prompting, will lay down my life. And such as it is, I will ask you to save me. I will ask you to be my Lord, my Savior. I confess my sins. I entrust my soul to you. I know that's the only hope of heaven. I know that you are the Savior of the world. I confess that Jesus Christ has come that he's given life to the world and I want that life and when Jesus saves you if that prayer is sincere if that's a prayer of repentance of turning from your sin and you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord then when he comes into that life he comes in and he changes everything about you not overnight but over time and when he changes everything about you you begin to say to yourself, you know, I'm not as interested in worldly things as I once was. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to see this. I don't want to occupy my heart with this. Here's what I want. I want to know you, Jesus. And here's his response. To know me is to love me, and to love me is to keep my commandments. Well, then, how do I know where your commandments are? How do I know what they are? How do I know I'm to be obedient to them? How can I gauge my obedience to them? And here's what he says. I'm going to send my helper, the Holy Spirit, and he is going to supernaturally inspire these Bible writers so that my very verbalized word, my teaching, my commandments will be captured, captured, recorded forever because the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our lord stands forever 
This is going to be the eternal word of God. And even if, physically speaking, our Bibles will go the way of all flesh, this, this cowhide, this flyleaf, these pages, they'll fade, they'll become old, but the word of God lasts forever. And even then, from the time I have, from my spiritual birth until I die to go to be with Jesus, I have the opportunity to put my head in this book to find out what Jesus says, to find out who he is, to be marveled at the persona of Jesus, all of his fullness, all of his love, all of his his. his his promptings, all of his commands, all of his teachings, and all of his warnings for that which you and I must stay away from. And if you and I are flirting with the world, if you and I are saying to ourselves, well, I'm too tired, I don't want to read. Look, I don't even like reading. I fall asleep when I read. I hear that from Christians all the time. I fall asleep when I read. My answer to that is stand up. <laughs> stand up when you read. Get on your knees when you read. Get on one leg as you read. Do whatever you can. And now we have so much facility. We have, we have the Bible on tape. You can put it in your earbuds. You can do it when you walk. You can do it when you lie down. You know, it's like that Deuteronomy 6, right? I mean, just every opportunity that we have at our fingertips to know, to listen, to hear the word of God. And if you love Jesus Christ, you will want to keep his commandments. And secondly, you will want to be illumined by the Holy Spirit. Now this is unique. I grant you that. It is. In fact, this is so unique, he says it a couple different times. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. He re-emphasizes this. Verse 26. But when the Helper comes, and this is the same conversation that he's having with them in the upper room. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And how does he bear witness? Through the inscripturated word that these men are going to write down. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Look at chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. In fact, he goes on for another chapter and a half doing so. And even after his resurrection, but before his ascension, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Remember, he's talking to the apostles and he's talking exclusively to them, for he will not speak, that is the Holy Spirit, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, my teaching, my commandments, my words, and declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you and oh I thank God that he did because when he declared it to the apostles and when the apostles wrote it down you and I have it forever you, are you placing the value of the word of God in its proper position are you you say well I mean it's your job you're a pastor it's what we pay you for I know, on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, you, you do. Yes, of course. And it's my job to fire you up about the Word of God. It's my job to passionately communicate to you that the Holy Spirit did, in fact, inspire those brethren, and they wrote the Word of God down for us. For us. And the Holy Spirit takes this Word of God 
and he illumines our minds. You want to see that? Okay, we're going to look at two verses, then we'll close. I want you to look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This is so rich. This is so wonderful. This is what the Holy Spirit can mean to you and me. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2.20. 1 John 2.20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. The Apostle John, same author as the Gospel of John, and he's talking about the saints there, probably the saints in Ephesus. And he says, but you have been anointed, not just the apostles, but for all of us, you've been anointed by the Holy One, probably very much a reference to the Holy Spirit, and you all have knowledge. So see, the Holy Spirit, who's inspired the apostles to write down what they wrote, and now we're reading these apostles, and this same Holy Spirit, the Anointed One, is giving us the very knowledge of what the apostles had first. And then he says, look at verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Oh, now he's saying, look, and there's going to be false teachers, and there's going to be false doctrine, and you're going to have to figure out which is truth and which is not truth. But, he says, verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him, the Holy Spirit, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You say, it says we don't need a teacher. We don't need you, pastor. You know what he's saying? In addition to the God-given teachers to the body, Ephesians chapter 4, you also have your own Bible and you also have your Holy Spirit and He will illumine your minds to understand the truth so that you also can be on the watch out for all false, false doctrine. You can do it, but you got to read it. you got to know it. You've you got to have it in your heart. You've got to be a voracious reader of God's Word. You memorize God's Word. You defend God's Word. You preach God's Word. You teach God's Word. You say, but I don't do it vocationally. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God has given you an anointing, and His name is the Holy Spirit, and He will lead you to the truth. He led the apostles to that very truth. In fact, the very remembrance of everything that Jesus said, He perfectly captured by the apostles, through the word, so that you and I can have that captured word, so that you and I can read this word, and we can know who the false teachers are out there, who the good teachers are, what's the good doctrine, what's the healthy doctrine, and we can do it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now Paul wants to get in on the act. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what is so wonderful, it's so glorious. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, my friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Notice that. I think it's rightly capitalized in the ESV. Capital S, Spirit, Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit, He searches everything, even the depths of God. We could talk a lot about what that means. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? In other words, God's Spirit perceives the very thoughts, the deep things of God, and the Spirit actually reveals it. And what are those revelations? Here it is. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Wow, I want to know the thoughts of God. I, I want to know what God thinks. Well, if you want to know what God thinks, then the Spirit of God shall reveal that to you. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, 
Remember, Jesus is not manifesting himself to them, but the Spirit who is from God, that we, we as believers, whom he has manifested himself to, in the person of the Holy Spirit, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What are those things? Salvation, sanctification, life, heaven, hell, eternity, all and everything besides. Verse 13. And we impart this. What stuff? The understanding of these things. We impart this, Paul says, in words. Notice, again, the importance of words. Not taught by human wisdom. We're not talking about human stuff. That's below. That's demonic. That's natural. We're talking about high stuff. We're talking about heavenly stuff. We're talking about spiritual stuff. It's taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In other words, if you're spiritual then God takes the Holy Spirit and He uses the Word of God to teach you spiritual things. Guess what? If you're spiritual and you don't avail yourself of the Word of God, then you're not going to be taught spiritual things from the Word because you're not availing yourself of that Word. But if you do, you're going to be taught so many wonderful things. So wonderful that you, in fact, will be spiritual. And you know how spiritual you'll be? We don't have time, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, you'll become so spiritual that spiritual will be placed upon spiritual, which will be placed upon spiritual, which means that you'll be nothing but maturing and maturing and maturing and growing, that you will grow to such a level that the Spirit of God will produce in you an ever-increasing maturity so that you are, by the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, taking one step upon another to glory. And when you and I get to glory, Paul says in Philippians, we haven't attained it yet. But when you and I are increasingly brought to levels of spiritual maturity through the word of God, we will be like Jesus Christ. Because that's his plan, to conform us to his image. Now, who doesn't want to be a part of that plan? Who doesn't want to be a part of the plan of being like Jesus Christ? For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will what? Mature it, complete it, perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. And when you do, it's as a direct result of you and I saying, I've got to have this word. I've got to have it. It's my lifeblood. No, but there's this great movie you've got to go see. Really? I mean, spend the time. I'm not, I'm not prudish. I'm not, I'm not a fighting fundamentalist. I'm not, I'm not mad about anything, even though my face looks like it not right now. It's not. <laughs> I'm just saying, I plead with you to avail yourself of loving Jesus Christ by obeying his, wor- his words, by finding out what his words are. And when you find out what his words are, you will love him all the more. And when you love him all the more, you'll be conformed to him all the more. And when you come to the place when you're conformed to him all the more, you'll be ushered into his very presence. There's no better thing like that in the universe. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Jesus Christ, Thank you, Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us your truth.
and for allowing us to love you and desiring to obey your commandments. It's the proof, it's the manifestation of our love. And where do we find those commandments? We find them in your word. Make us diligent students of your word. And if we don't understand anything, we ask. And if we don't see how it relates to us, we seek it out, we pray, we discern, we grope, we poke, we, we prod, we persist, we, we do everything we can because we want to know you, Christ. And when we know you, we will know the Father. And you will come with the Father and make your abode with us, your home. And when we have that home of Father, Son, and ourselves, including the Holy Spirit, we will have God resident within us, both in church and in our own individual lives. And as we continue to grow, you will teach us forever and a day your word. And we will spend eternity worshiping you because of whose word it is. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.